How about that? Okay. Well, Commitment Sunday is always a great day in the life of the church. How about that, Rusty? Is that working now? There we go. Well, I'm going to come back over to Plan C. <laughs> All right. Now I'm a little woozy. Uh, <laughs> it's a great day in the life of our church as, as we remember first and foremost who gave all for us. Every time we come to Commitment Sunday, we first remember. We have, you can just go back to chapter 15 in, in, in this letter to the church in Corinth. This reminder again of God's great grace for us in Jesus Christ, the one who is the resurrection. And all that was won for us through his death and resurrection. And listen, there's, there's so much more we rightly talk about the debt that was paid for us. We rightly talk about being ransomed and being forgiven. But Lori has said it at the beginning of worship. Ben has prayed it. And our choirs have sang it for us. There is so much more to the atoning grace of Jesus Christ. Not only are we forgiven, but we are reconciled. Not only are we reconciled but now we're being sanctified not only and it just goes on and on that'll be a sermon series someday in lent i'm sure as we look at and glorify christ for all that he has won for us in his cross and in his resurrection and today these verses here the bread that was offered up the bread of life broken for us wins for us something else too and that's our life not just with god but our life together our life as the church and as church family. It's yet another one of the many benefits of his cross. It's also a day when we not only remember what was won for us, but we also remember who we're supposed to be. Going back to chapter 16 from last week, Paul's reminding this church, after giving them incredible encouragement, but also giving them some correction, you're to be for God's glory. And we see it here in chapter 10 as well at the end of this chapter. You are created and fashioned for God's glory, but also for others. And so it's important for us every year to have this day where we mark that in our lives, for ourselves, for our families, and for our church, and really even for the world. We are not about ourselves, but we're for His glory, and we're for the blessing and for the reaching of others. And to stretch like that, to be able to say to each other, we're all in, we're in the trenches together, but also to stretch like that. Some of you are going to be moving in new ways of service. That can be scary, to step out in faith and serve in new ways. Some of you are stretching and moving in your giving, and that can be scary. Yesterday, my cousin Jamie came down from Chattanooga and called a family meeting at the state fair. Now, my, my cousin Jamie maybe one of the more adventurous people I know. She not only rides this rocket motorcycle around, uh, she not only serves on a drag racing team, but when she comes to the state fair, she ain't playing. I saw her, and Sarah's here and can confess, I saw her in 45 minutes put down a prono pup, a turkey leg, at least three or four other things. So she wasn't playing. This was her state fair. She had three hours. But Jamie also ain't playing when it comes to rides. And I'm the only one really dumb enough to go with her because I don't want to ride alone. So whether it's the freak out or it's whatever, I'll ride it with her until yesterday she said, we're doing the Gravitron. And that's where I called timeout. 
I might have also put down a turkey leg and a prana. I wasn't, that circle motion, that was an issue. But behind it all, and I shared this with my family yesterday, was uh, it was a place of pain. I was five years old. I was going to Hershey Park, an amusement park in Hershey, Pennsylvania. And I got on a, a ride very similar to the Gravitron. It was called the Rotor. And it was a, a circular room where you stood against the wall and, 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 the, and the room would spin and as it spun, then the floor would drop about two or three feet and you would just be pressed up against the wall. Where here I was, a little five-year-old, leaning against the wall there with my dad and then his best friend, another coach, I won't say his name, I'll use his nickname so he won't get in trouble, Tuffy. We called him Tuffy. So we're about to start, and right as it's about to begin to spin and the floor's going to drop, Tuffy looked down at me, a five-year-old kid, and said, you realize the floor's going to drop when you spin. Yeah, I heard that, I heard that. But do you realize that if you slide down after it's fallen to the ground, after it's moved down, if you slide down and your feet touch, chains will come up out of the floor, grab you, and pull you under the ride. What? Vroom, the ride starts. And I'm five years old, right? I'm weighing like 40, 50 pounds. So these heavy men are pressed against the wall with that force. I start sliding towards the bottom. And I start screaming for my father, who has not heard this conversation. And I said, Dad. And he looked at me like, what are you screaming about? I'm like, Father, as I'm sliding to my doom. <laughs> Jamie says, let's go ride the Gravitron. I said, no way. These chains will come out. It can be scary to stretch. It can be scary to serve in environments or in ways that are not comfortable for us. But what Paul is saying to this church in chapter 16 from last week, this is what we do. We're the church. We are designed and brought together by the grace of Christ's cross and resurrection for the glory of God and to serve others. And as we've been saying throughout this series, we're one. That's a word that Paul owns here. He also owns it in Ephesians. We are one. Sixty different times, pound for pound, more used here than anywhere else in the New Testament. We are one. We're one church family in one ministry for this task of the glory of God and for the blessing of others. So here in verse 17, we see it again. There is, because of the bread of life, the bread that was broken for us, we are one body. One. The Gospel of John reminds us in chapter 17, that's really the last things on Jesus' lips in his prayer. What do, you, what do you pray for when you know they're coming for you? What do you pray for when you know you're about to not only be betrayed by your best friends, but you're about to suffer in ways that we can't even imagine. What do you pray for? I pray for me. And Jesus prays for himself. But in that high priestly prayer in John 17, he begins praying for these disciples. And then after he prays for his disciples, he prays for you and for me. And what does he pray for the future church? One. That's my prayer, he says. Verse 22 and 23, that they may be one, just as we, Father, are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know, there's the others again, 
so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. It's why we defer to each other. It's why we serve each other. It's why we stretch for each other because we are one and the bread of life has been broken for us. This Corinthian church, they definitely had their preferences. They definitely had their own things that they preferred, their own wants. It's so easy to separate. Anybody notice what Corey was wearing today? A Tennessee shirt. You know anybody know who his wife roots for? Auburn. It's easy to divide, right? I've joked before recently about there is actually a church that split over carpet color one time. I used to joke about that's real now. And uh, Sarah and I had a dear friend in the last couple of months share, share with us, not this town, another town, about a church split that they went through right down the middle over some things that were about wants and preferences that weren't about kingdom things. It can happen. And y'all, when, when disunity happens within a church family, it's, uh, what happened in that church looked ugly to the world. They missed the grace of God. There is one bread, there is one body. And so it's critical for us, critical for us to stretch and defer and to serve and to give. It's interesting, I left my last church, we were finishing up a building program and the bishop said, you're going to Madison. Now Jim and I, you know that, Jim Jennison and I are good friends. I was like, oh, another building program. It can be dicey for a church, a building program. I wonder how many of you, no hands, I wonder how easy it was to move from the chapel to here. I wonder how easy it was to move from one service to two services. Now why do you do that? Others, we want to reach. There could be someday there's a third service. And the heart of it's going to be we're one church family and because we're committed to God and his work here, we're willing to do whatever it is for the reaching of others can't be about me it's got to be about kingdom work and who hasn't heard and you're looking here at the the church here in Corinth and Paul's arguing with them about who they prefer in terms of people who've led them show of hands I'm going to ask which has been your favorite preacher over your time here (laughs) okay now remember I get to preach next week And the length of the discernment, no. But come on, some of us have been deeply ministered to and prefer Kelly, right? He was there for you at a time. He had gifts of music. God was faithful to bring these people of God into our midst. We lean towards Kelly, or we lean towards Jim, excuse me, I almost said Jimmy. It's St. Jimmy. I have followed Jimmy Harrison at three different churches. His name is spoken with quiet reverence, right? There is no probably, there's probably no better pastor ever in the Mississippi Annual Conference in terms of pastoring people and walking with people. He's a pastor's pastor. And then the giant of Henderson Raspberry, who was my pastor as a kid. Now, Genesee liked Miami football, so we write him off. I get that. I get that. Right? But we have preferences for pastors. That's, that's, not, that's human. We do that. And Paul's looking at this church in chapter 1, 
And he's saying, some of you are saying that you're of Apollos. And some of you are saying that you're of Cephas. And some of you are saying you're of me. And it gets Paul so flustered. that. And I love that the Holy Spirit, by his leading, allows for these verses to be in Scripture. If you go back to chapter 1, verses 14 through 16, this is how flustered Paul gets of that when the church is even flirting with, within the body of Christ, within, within a church family, or flirting with this unity. I'm of this guy, or this guy, or this guy. Here's what Paul says. Listen to how flustered he is. I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius. Just for those two. I'm glad that I didn't baptize any of y'all but them. Well, wait a minute. Well, there was the household of Stephanus. Well, wait a minute. Well, look, beyond that, I don't remember who I baptized. He's flustered, writing this, giving this word, because how can the church not be one? And he follows it up. You can find it later in chapter 3. What does he remind them as they're thinking about all these different leaders? He says, you belong to Jesus. He is our one bread, and he is our one food. Oh, the beauty of being the body of Christ. Listen, the world can't do it. It's why the world longs for the grace that we have sung about and heard sung about today, because the world can't give it. It's only found in Jesus Christ. And this kind of unity with this many personalities, this many preferences and wants, and yet we're one church moving towards one goal of building faithful disciples who serve Jesus Christ, the world can't do that. Rivalry, just think of the intensity of sports rivalries or the way politics put its ugly face on display in recent weeks or the intensity of, 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 of feuding between families. I grew up in the 80s where there was this wonderful commercial where all was made right. People of two very different preferences. One was chocolate and one was peanut butter, Right? And then somehow, magically, they bumped into each other. And the chocolate went in the peanut butter. And the Reese's peanut butter cup was discovered, and all was well. It doesn't happen in this world. It's my way or the highway, right? That's just, that's just the way we live. You ever heard of Tegan Monfields? A high school kid running a 5K race? And it's interesting, so many of these acts of grace come in in these individual, so-called individual sports. Uh, you never see a football player knock a guy on his backside and say, oh, let me help you up so we can continue to compete. You never see that, right, in team sports. You, you play hard, you crush somebody till the whistle's blown, but, but yet here is Tegan in this race, just, just yards from the finish line, and she's going she's gonna to place, and the runner right in front of her goes down. Now, what do you... What do you what do you tell that, that kid if you're their coach? What do you say to that kid if you're their parent? Especially if you touch a fallen runner and assist in any way, you will be disqualified. But what does she do? <laughs> this kid has eaten it on the ground, is messed up, is hurt, and is just going to lie there, knowing she's lost a chance to place. And it's instinctual for Tegan. She gets down without hesitation, picks her opponent up, and they walk and go through the finish line together. Now the crowd goes crazy over this, clapping and responding. 
a great first reaction. But the hope is the lesson is the continuing reaction. This is what grace does. Uh, This is what the church does. This is what Paul's talking about, about serving and deferring one another that we are one. Jesus, the bread of life, verse 17, has made us to be one body. If you go actually go back to verse 3 when, he, when Paul's talking about uh, 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 Moses' day and he says they all ate of the same food and of the same drink, he goes on to say that the rock that they actually drank from was Jesus Christ himself. He was their provision. He was the one who brought them what they needed. One church, no matter all the stuff that's going on in this church, it's one, it's one body for one purpose, to, to, to glorify God, and then in that and through that, so the world might know that it is the Father who sent Jesus for us. I love watching our church. I've only been here two years, just a little over two years. And it's just crazy to see. Well, it's not crazy. That's what the church does. It's just been wonderful. Not crazy. It's been wonderful to watch you all stretch. Not just in terms of the education building. That's just one of like 10 things your trustees and committees have done with our facility since I've been here. The new prayer room, the new entrance room to the administrative building, the new nursery room, the Sunday school space that it's been done. It's incredible to see how our churches stretch so that we might be better discipled and better better uh, uh, find better ways to greet uh, people who, who come to our church. It's been great to watch you all stretch. You know, last year, I don't know if I threw this number out, we grew our mission budget by 25%. Who does that when you're adding the debt of a new building? Who does that? The church. That's who does that. The church does that. It's a wonderful facility. We need to give to support that debt. But we're not going to stop with ministry. And then to see our church not only add on Delta Grace trips, but next year we're adding on to budget and we're going to move in recovery ministries. We've been doing more in the inner city over the, the last two years. In the last two years we've added another trip to Honduras to support the Moody's out of, out of our church. Why? Because this is what disciples do. They serve Jesus Christ. It's beautiful when the body is the body. Just growing in so many ways. Serving in so many ways ways why because we who are many are one body how is it you and i will move towards that unity we're going to be people who are all in to build faithful disciples to serve jesus christ how is it today we'll commit ourselves to do that it fights everything this world tells us michael cunningham who was a uh, psychologist at the University of Maryland, he put together a list, okay? No nudging, no elbows here, but the list of what are the complaints between husbands and wives, okay? I'm going to read the top five, all right? Here we go. Read two through four. Here, well, actually, the women one have uh, men for women. Okay, here it is. Men hate, this is number two, the silent treatment. You know you do it. Don't look away from me. <laughs> Men don't like when we bring when past transgressions are brought up. Now, if we've earned that, that's okay, but don't bring, bring them up. Uh, men get frustrated uh, when women talk about being too hot or too cold. Be quiet, guys. That's right, though. Or being critical or being stubborn. Here's what women, and the top complaints is by a university psychologist. 
when men don't work hard enough, when men stare at other women, when men are stubborn and refuse to give in, I don't know how to say this, when they noisily burp or pass other gases. <laughs> that made the list. I apologize. You know what was number one? When the other person says, me first. It's all about me. We live in a world of dog-eat-dog, dog, and it's all about me. And Paul's saying to this church, who is tempted to say, I can misuse my body however I want for me, or I can be of this person or this person or this person, the one I like, it's me. And Paul says, bread of life was broken for you there's one body there's one church for the glory of God and for the blessing of others how is it today we're going to say together as as the church to the glory of Christ so that others might know our closing hymn is Jesus calls us let's stand together as we sing those verses as we respond